Today we talk new beginnings and heartfelt tributes in part two of our interview with Barry Lewis Polliser on Benny Asking People Questions. There's two aspects in particular that I think seem to have come out, for which we just explained, which came out, which I think are really just beautiful. I was, I was sort of going through the We're Not Kidding album and just having a listen. And it, it's, it's, there's something very beautiful about this album. And it's not necessarily just the content that's in it, but it's the fact that all these children, like you touched on before, all these children grew up to be moved by music to, you know, make, artistic pursuits their lives and to dedicate themselves to those skills and talents and to think that their earliest memory of inspiration is you and that's incredibly powerful and it's a deeply seated testament I think to the impact you have had I mean you know the fact that all these artists come together and go we want to dedicate our time to doing covers of your songs um, yeah, yeah. That's really moving. Was that? Was that? Quite, yeah. I mean, were you moved by that? Is that a really oh, profound I, moment? I am. I am. I am still moved to this day. I mean, I, it still touches touches my heart and 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 my and my soul deep down. You know, I've had lots of great things in my career. You know, TV show and songs and a couple movies, not just Judo, but there've been other movies that have used my songs and commercial ads. But that that tribute album, that we're not kidding album, you know, 60 songs by, you know, by about a hundred musicians all across the world who, you know, not everyone, but, but a good number of them had my albums growing up and talked about, you know, what it was like to find my albums in their local library or, or what it was like when their parents, you know, brought an album home. Um, you know, Aaron Cohen is a producer of that album. He has a band in California called the Radioactive Chicken Heads. And uh, I, I can remember the day he he, I got a I got a, a little CD uh, EP a, a three song CD in the mail uh, and and it was from Aaron out in California and he said dear Mr. Polisar I hope you don't mind but I I I have a band a rock and roll band in California and we did a version of your song Underwear and and I just wanted you to hear it and I hope you like it and I just flipped I went oh my God this is so great and you know, most people they they they. They took my songs, and, and and I've had a lot of my songs recorded by other artists, and especially the children's artists. So a lot of them, especially in the beginning, you know, they kind of toned things down. They 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 cleaned up the lyrics. I, I have a song called "I Want to Be a Dog." It's probably my most recorded song, and and they're you know, oh, I want to be a dog. <laughs> I want to wag my tail, and and it's all the things that the. The, the character who's singing wants to do it if he's a dog. And there's a great line, oh, want to be a dog. Uh, what is it? I want to be a dog. Um, God, it's been a long time. I haven't been singing in the schools this year. I got to pause here for a minute. Uh, I want to dig. I want, oh, I want to be a dog. I want to dig big holes. I want to flirt with French poodles and basset hounds and pee on telephone poles. I mean, it's the best line in the song. It's a line that always gets a laugh from kids and adults. I mean, they're kind of like, whoa, did he just say pee on telephone poles? Oh, that's funny. But that's what dogs do. That is what they and, do. Um, but but as, as a lot of children's artists, discovered that song and felt the need to not say the word pee, <laughs> to say, oh. look, 
yeah, they would sing out, and I want to look at telephone poles, and I went, look at telephone poles. What is it? Yeah, what, what dog is, does that? <laughs> what? Yeah, what is that? So, so a lot of people have cleaned up my songs when they've recorded them, but Aaron and his rock and roll band, they just went. You know, they just they just yeah, forged pain. ahead and did this incredible version of underwear. And I called him up and I said, I love your or I emailed him. I said, I love this. This is great. And I guess I was so effusive that he said, well, we're in the studio doing another album. Can we record a couple more? And I said, Can you know, yeah, knock yourself out. Wow. So he did. He did. I, I looked into the mirror and what did the mirror say? And then they did a, a video of that. And then they recorded I, I Eat Kids and they did a video of that. And. You know, and Aaron said, if you're ever out in California on a concert tour, I would just love to meet you. I had your albums when I was a kid. And, you know, a year later, I was in California on a concert tour. And I, I, I we got together for, for dinner. And over dinner, he said, you know, I, I'd really love to do an album of cover songs of yours and get all my musician friends together. And, and like, like we'd all like divide up your catalog and we'd all do different, 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 different songs. You know, would, would you mind? <laughs> and I yeah. went, well, no, that would be great. And uh, I think at the time he was thinking maybe they would do 12 songs and it would be a little, you know, little, little mini, mini project. And before before long it was a you yeah, know, it's a massive sixty yeah it's massive and and uh, and I got to tell you I mean I listen to those songs every now and then and I mean I think those covers are better than anything I've ever done I mean there's a couple <laughs> there are a few artists that took my songs and and wrote new verses they changed they 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 they, they enlarged some of the songs I. I you know my, my my classic song "Don't Put Your Finger Up Your Nose," which which was sort of my my best known song until until Juno. Uh, I, there 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 was a, there's a there's a, uh, a techno pop version of that, and then somebody else did a version uh, translated that song into Yiddish and did a klezmer yeah, version. Yeah. And I mean, the most incredibly creative and innovative uh, artists, you know, just kind of reinvent my songs and so as much as all these other things have been great I mean that thing really touched my soul well, I always thought that cows would prove in a field and I might play that supper being served as a meal and I never did like hamburgers never did like steak I preferred chickens cackling instead of fried cooked or The thing that struck me about it is, is it just felt so natural for me to find out that that album existed because, as I said, as I went through your career, I just went, "Oh my God, you, you, there's you meant so much to people," and I think, um, and I think that was just the, you know, that's the ultimate testament to that. There was yeah. one other aspect that came out of that Juno era is naturally sweetened, um, which you know, you, you talk about it being this opportunity for you to just share the love songs or the songs you have of adoration and stuff like that and it's an incredibly beautiful album because i guess it really highlights a small portion of what you do that's not forgotten but kind of will disappear behind the put your finger up your nose kind of songs and was it nice was it nice to just put yourself out there in a different perspective just to kind of go you know what actually do this other stuff over here that's not <laughs> not always you know not yeah. always horrifying and and you know right, right. crazy yeah. I, I have a heart <laughs> Well, every every album had one or two. I mean, right from the very beginning, you know, I Eat Kids had I Need You Like a Donut Needs a Hole and Me and You. Uh, 
second album had All I Want Is You. I mean, every every single album had one or two love songs. Some were funnier than others. Some were pretty sweet. I mean, I, I met my wife just as I was recording my third album. So with a giggle and a hug and a tickle and a kiss and you're as sweet as sugar and a sick. I mean, those were those were literally written like the day before I went into the recording studio to, to do the third album. I you know right right after right around this time actually, uh, I had you know when I had first uh, you know met her, um, and so it was kind of nice to just take all of those and put them on one album. Uh, I mean, mostly because a lot of people I know were just looking for the sweet songs, and 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 that way they didn't. And that was before downloads. That was when you when you actually had to buy the album. And I said, well, this way. They, if they just want the sweet ones, here's one album. They don't have to buy. They don't have to buy nine albums to get the you know the two songs on each album. They could they could just get the album because now it's it's sort of moot because people people do music differently now. But back when I first released that, it was it was a way to just put all the sweet things on one on one disc and, yeah. and people you know let people you know have at that. If you're ever feeling down, go give a tick a fiddle, little wiggle around. Give a tick a fiddle, little wiggle around. Left, right, backwards, and upside down. Give a tick a fiddle, little wiggle around. We're walking in and talking and squawking to the sound. Back and forth, go stand on your head. Colors of the rainbow, yellow and red. A windshield wiper slapping in the rain. Go flapping and clapping and chugging like a train. Give a tick a fiddle, little wiggle around. Left, right, backwards, and upside down. Give a tick a fiddle, little wiggle around. Go walking in and talking and squawking to the sound. You know, you you had also mentioned the Old Enough to Know Better um, album, which is another double album that that came out. Um, and and so I mentioned in the '90s, re-recording you know my favorite songs uh, and and kind of revisiting, kind of doing covers of my own songs effectively, and and rewriting and and kind of changing the music on a lot of them. And then a few years went by. I mean, gosh, how many years? <laughs> Ten or fifteen years went by. And my daughter, as she was going off to college discovered this stack of songs that I had recorded on those early albums that she didn't really know too well. She said, well, wait a minute, what... What, how, what, whatever happened to this song? Whatever happened? I mean, like a song like When Susie Sneeze, for instance. Uh, there are a number of songs, Barnyard Stomp. She said, well, I, you know, you never sing those songs, and I never hear them because they're on these old albums. And um, and I said, well, you know, those are songs that have problems. I, I think there they're, they're some lyrics that I don't like, or, or the music isn't that great, or, or this is for what, one reason or another, I, I just don't think they're my best things. And she said, Dad, you, you spent your whole life going into schools, talking about revising and rewriting and editing with kids. You talk about, you know, take, you know changing things around and working and, and sweating hard and, and getting, the, getting those stories and songs and poems, you know, as good as you can get them. Why don't you take your worst songs and see if you can turn them into something else? 
And I was like, whoa, what a great idea. (laughs) Uh, And and so I really credit her. She was her idea. And and I I joke that I had so many bad songs that I had to do a double album because I I did one disc. (laughs) I I took 20 songs and I did one disc. And then I said, oh, that was so much fun. Let me me see if I can dig deeper into the well and find 20 more songs. (laughs) Into the well of terrible songs that I can't stand. They they weren't all the worst. They weren't all bad, but they they were kind of the ones the leftovers that I didn't re-record back in the 90s, yeah, you know, right. when, I, when I redid this. And so, and, and of course, the title, Old Enough to Know Better, the worst of Barry Lewis Paulus, or I mean, I mean, you know, I, they kind of, it beca- it's actually one of my favorite albums now because the songs got such a, a revision. Uh, Ray Tokens was my engineer and, and, and basically co-produced the album with me. And he played, gosh, he played a myriad of instruments, you know, lead guitar and slide guitar and bass and, and mandolin. And I mean, we just kind of, we just like blew the songs up and recreated them. Uh, I rewrote a, a lot of lyrics. I mean, some songs like Barnyard Stomp, which was sort of a throwaway when I first recorded it in 1975, became a completely different song you know in 2000 you know 30 years later in 2005 Mm. Um, and that was in part because my my son you know barnyard stomp the original version was sort of a little kind of childish play on led zeppelin's song barnyard stomp that was on i think maybe their third album and uh and and my son at one point pointed out that uh that song that led zeppelin had written and recorded was actually about jimmy page's dog and so i said oh that's interesting so when i redid barnyard stomp 30 years later yeah. i changed the song completely and it's about a dog <laughs> so, so it's like a song that had gone full circle and yeah totally totally different from the original um and there's a few songs that are like that that just that just became i mean i kept the title but they became totally different songs just like a rusty pickup truck it's missing its front wheel when you're not beside me that's just the way I feel Like peanut butter without jam Or peaches without cream A whistling tea kettle That's running out of steam Some people search for meaning But I see it so clear I'm glad to be alive And I am happy with you here I know I am so lucky but I think that's also, I mean, you know, I there's nothing about that story to me that, you know, even though I didn't know that story, there's nothing about that that surprises me. I mean, that's your career. Your career is just like, that works, that works, that works, that works. Um, yeah. And you kind of just respond to those moments, which I think is what makes you, um, yeah, as I said before, there's a consistency in you. Like, I mean, I can't, it is impossible to talk to you, Barry, without, I don't even know if I want to talk about your album covers or if we just kind of <laughs> just kind of <laughs> say they're amazing and let's move on like I don't even know they're just so I, I just I, I'm so you know I've never I've never wanted more to print off someone's album cover and frame it and stick it in my lounge room like they're just like I just you know the, I think Stanley stole my shoelace and rubbed it in his armpit I just you're gagged in a <laughs> in a prison with a right, file right. well I- 
Like a, a good friend of mine, Michael Stewart, is a is a is a photographer and a, and, a, and a graphic designer, and 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 I and just like with my my friend Ray Tokens, who did the the studio recordings with Ray, I would say, okay, Ray, I, I think what I'd really like to hear, I'd like to hear a guitar that goes, and he could just sit down and recreate it. And same thing with Michael. I mean, I would you know I'd throw out ideas, and and he'd come up with great ideas. And so a lot of those album covers, not all of them, but a lot of them, Michael Michael, like old enough to know better, was one of Michael's and the fan album he you know he, he did actually you know i there was a little bit of a shift from the vinyl albums the 12 inch vinyl albums to the cds because a lot of the the subtleties got lost you know when i went from vinyl you know the the, the yeah. big the big palette the big cover palettes like for instance uh, uh stanley stole my shoelace and rubbed it in his armpit and other songs my parents won't let me sing uh or the original cover is i mean i'm in a playpen that looks like bars yeah. and i'm gra- and i'm grabbing the bars like that you know the playpen bars like it's like it's jail but next to me is my teddy bear who's also gagged <laughs> and, 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 and is next to me. but on the on the cd it was just too small and it didn't work and and off color songs off color songs for kids was it was a great play on play the whole album cover was black and white and and the and the, the title off color songs you know was they, they were like uh, open open letters you know like you, like you could color them in and then I, I and the only color on that album was was the off color red that didn't line up properly with the with with the lead, with the lettering so it was kind of a play on the idea that the that it was off color that the, that, the, oh. that the color registry didn't match up with the black and white i mean so you know they were like little puns here oh, and there. yeah they're just they're just amazing like i just you know i i eat kids you know i just love the fact that you know it wasn't until i heard that the dinosaur says i eat kids i go okay well that, that's but you know the cover is you just with this smile with a child in your lap i'm just going oh my goodness and then well, the next fun, one is fun, fun. you know you with a banana you know my brother thinks he's a banana it's just you with a plate like they're just yeah, so well, the, 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 I, the I Eat Kids album has a fun story too. I, I, I had told you that after that, after this first couple songs in, in the school concert that I did, um, you know, I got hired to do this this park program, and I got hired to do this park these park concerts with uh, a couple who were mimes. And uh, so, I, so when I would get up and I would sing like a twenty-minute, you know, show, and then I would sit down and they would go up and they would do twenty minutes of mime, or we'd reverse it. And when they would be on stage, their eighteen-month-old daughter who came with them, I basically put on my lap. I, I kind of entertained while they were on stage. And and at, by the end of that summer, that that time when I was working in the parks, I had already made the decision to take the money that I had made working in the parks and, and make a record. And I didn't know what I was going to call it. <laughs> and there I was bouncing Jennifer on my lap. <laughs> And I said, oh, oh, this would make a really great cover. And I remember I, I, I mentioned it to Jim and Bonnie, and, and uh, I, I came over to their house the, that weekend, and they shot the cover in their backyard, and, and there it was. <laughs> and then let's flash forward 30 years, and I get this this email, this order. Not, it wasn't even an, an email. It was an order on my website um, for an album, uh, a, a, a copy of the I Eat Kids album from a gal named Jennifer Hall. No. And I said, Jennifer Hall, could it be? I had since I had searched her a number of times, but, you know, it's a common name, right? Yeah. And it's not like Barry Lewis Pulitzer. And so I emailed back, and I said, Jennifer Hall, could this be? 
the Jennifer Hall, daughter of you know Jim and Bonnie Hall, and she said, "Yeah." And it turns out that she's now on it. She was, or maybe she still is, is is in a rock band called Water Method. And and lo and behold, they they're one of the bands. No, that's uh, amazing. On, on the tribute album. That's amazing. <laughs> so, that yeah. is amazing. So everything comes full circle. I mean, you know, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, literary quotes is by Barbara Kingsolver, the novelist, and she says, everything is connected. You know, everything is connected by these fine, invisible threads. And, 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 and you know, you think, you know, that we're all operating in, in, the, in a vacuum, but, you know, there, there are connections that go back and forth. And I just love, I just love celebrating those connections. Oh, no, I like my sister. Oh, no, guess you can say a mister. She always interfered with my happiness But now she's gone to Canberra, oh, what am I to do? I hope she don't get eaten by a kangaroo Oh no, I like my sister, oh no, guess you can say I missed her for literature i want to i want to talk just very quickly i only got a couple more questions for you because obviously sure. yeah we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm i could again i'm loving it i mean we've uh, only been on for 10 minutes right I mean, <laughs> exactly that's great. um so songs for well-behaved children is a is a is a little greater step toward more production bigger sounds and things like that but what it does do is it introduces us to a big part of who you are and how you see yourself we get to the craft up or i guess the craft up and we're introduced to your poetry um it's been touched on before i mean in in my brother thinks he's a banana but but it's more acapella and it feels a bit different here here we see you actually just acknowledging the power of words on your own when did you when was this decision to because it's become a huge part of your career since right the love of words the poetry the books i mean was it something that I mean, did you just wake up one day and go, oh, my goodness, I've always seen this from the perspective of what I might do for adults, but I've got this opportunity to actually really investigate this through children. I mean, is it? Well, yeah, I, I have a, as I said, you know, having spent this snowed in day with the stack of, of folders that, that I've saved over the years, I mean, I have short stories that go back to when I was in junior high school. Uh, I didn't read those stories because they're kind of long, but I then went and I looked at some of the poems that I that I wrote when I was in high school and the poems that I wrote since. And and again, it's just such a such a riot to see I mean, now at age 66, I can say, oh, yeah, that's my that's where I was influenced by Gregory Corso's poem about marriage. And that's where I was influenced by Lawrence mm. Ferlinghetti. That's where I was influenced by Richard Brodigan. I've always loved poetry. I've always loved writing. I've always loved stories, you know, whether they were they were they were stories. I mean, the Twilight Zone stories that I watched on TV when I was a kid yeah. were, were you know, had worked on multiple levels. They were interesting stories. They were well written by Rod Serling and other writers, but they were also stories that kind of, kind of worked on a couple different levels. They they weren't just the simple story. They many of those stories hinted at something much deeper. The, the irony uh, of life and 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 just I mean, they addressed issues kind of subtly, uh, maybe some not so subtly. So I've always been interested in that, and so you know from the earliest time i was writing poems and 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 then and and then and then songs and then of course you know on the songs for well behaved children i actually 
kept a number of those songs just as, I mean, a number of those pieces, just as short little poems as, as interstitials. And, and part of the reason was the, the album that came out before that was called Naughty Songs for Boys and Girls. Uh, it was actually a nod to Oscar Brand, who had an album for adults called Body Songs and Ballads. And they really were body songs. Mine are not naughty songs. Uh, I mean, I might be foolish, but I'm not crazy to do an album like that for kids. Mine were just funny, you know, funny, playful songs. But I also, you know, enjoyed a lot of the poems of Ogden Nash, a lot of the poems, uh, Hilaire Belloc, you know, a lot of the poems, uh, uh, I guess what they call the cautionary poets, Mm. Uh, the the poets, I think they were English primarily. Um, They wrote they wrote these these poems, the very funny uh, Victorian poems about, you know, what children shouldn't do so that they don't get eaten by the by a whale or what they shouldn't do so they don't fall in the pond. I mean, they're very funny and very satiric and often if viewed by modern sensibilities would be banned because oh my god you're going to give kids you know you know they're going to make kids scared they're yeah. they're going to be you have bad ideas so so a lot of those were 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 done in the in that sort of they were it was sort of a nod to to the cautionary tales i mean my little sister Agatha, while sitting in a chair, accidentally spilt her milk, which splattered everywhere. She went to get a, ma- a rag with which to mop it up, and then you know, and it, you know, one one catastrophe leads to the other, and then the last line is, "So take my advice, young children. The problem is not the chair; it's reading that I warn you against. Beware, children, beware." I mean, you know, you know, I'm not obviously telling children to be, you know, be, yeah. beware of reading. I mean, it's the opposite, but it's, you know, it's funny. It's, it's yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. The craster fast, though not faster than the brash and raspy plasterer, <laughs> met with quite a sore disaster, perhaps because she was not faster. She lived on trash under the plaster until the day that the old master sent to patch the cracking plaster in his task accidentally cast her. In the process, making the craster grasp for gasps, but at last pass faster than she would have had he asked her if it was all right to patch the plaster. Now, the moral is that every craster must one day meet their master. Mm. Now, say that ten times faster. (laughs) I I I was listening to the crab, and what I love about the crab is that it just begins with, and then there's the crab. It's like we've just sort of dropped in on your thoughts randomly, like we've walked into a room and you're in the middle of a rant. But what I love yeah. about it is it reminded me, it kind of, it's like all your all your lyrics, I think, are a little bit like that. It's like we're just dropping in on your head for a moment, then leaving again. Yeah. I mean, is, is this your writing style? Like, I mean, are you the kind of person who meticulously crafts an individual song or do you just write, 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 and write, and write, and then every now and then go, that's a keeper, that's going over there. Right, right, right. Like, is it a stream of consciousness at your end or is it a meticulously thought out? Yeah, you know, I'm not the kind of writer that just sits down and blocks off three hours a day and writes every day. I tend to write when I'm enthused and when I'm inspired. And that has shifted over the years. I mean, again, you know, you know, before I began publishing, I was just writing poems just just for fun and Mostly when I was in geometry class and you know in junior high school, but then you know when I started writing as a career, I, I, writing songs, and then and then and then kind of branching out into books at a pretty pretty. I mean, I've been doing books actually almost as many years as I've been doing the songs and the music, um, and and a lot of times those ideas kind of come together. Uh, so, for instance, I'll give you an example. I. I 
in fact, it also relates to everything we've been talking about. Um, when I when I released my album, Naughty Songs for Boys and Girls, like many years later, I got this letter from a group of teachers in Indiana. Uh, and they said, uh, Dear Mr. Polisar, we just discovered your recording called Naughty Songs for Boys and Girls, listed in, in, in an educational music catalog. And although we have not listened to the album and do not plan to ever listen to the album, we don't know why you would ever try to write an album of songs of, of naughty songs for boys and girls. And what you should do with your talents instead is you should use your talents to teach children manners. And yeah. so, of course, I sat down and I wrote this nice little response that, you know, my role as a satirist is not to be a didactic writer preaching and teaching, but my role is to hold up a mirror to kids and, and, and let them learn from the experience of seeing themselves, you know, from the outside. And my wife reads the letter and says, Barry, this is gold. You, this is, they just gave you this great idea. Why don't you write a book about manners for kids? And it was like, oh, yeah, that would be really funny. And so I did. Don't do that. A Child's Guide to Bad Manners. And, and that's how that book came about. And, and, and uh, I had written the book Snakes and the Boy Who Was Afraid of Them. And this, my kids were maybe four or five years old. And the book, uh, I, I worked with that book for many, many years. And then uh, my wife and, and children and I were, were hiking uh, on a trail. And we came across a little baby snake that looked like it had been stepped on. And, and I, I saw it, and I took a stick, and I moved it off the trail, and I, I put it on a rock where the sun was shining. And, and my wife said, well, I thought you were, like, really afraid of snakes. I mean, the, the book about the boy who was afraid of snakes is kind of autobiographical. I'm afraid of snakes. And I said, well, I am afraid of snakes, but, you know, this is a baby, and, it, and it's been injured, and I don't want, you know, I mean, hopefully the sun, it can rejuvenate with the sun and, 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 and squiggle away. And she said, um, maybe what you should do is instead of writing about a boy who's afraid of snakes, you should write about a snake who's afraid of people. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I, I've been working on this book for three years. I'm not going to suddenly abandon it. But, whoa, maybe I'll write another book from the snake side. And it would be like two sides of the same story. And, and that's how teachers use it in, in, in schools to, to, to talk about point of view. And, I mean, they're both different stories but they're kind of the same idea one is about a kid afraid of snakes the other is about a snake yeah, afraid brilliant. of kid genius i think now's a pretty good time to introduce your 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 uh, extra character what's your wife's name <laughs> Indeed. My wife is named Ronnie R O R O N I What a what a beautiful support like i mean what a what a you know i guess and again it really goes back to this whole idea of your career is it's just almost you know, it feels, again, from the listener, it almost feels like it was inevitable. Do you know what I mean? You're, everything you were doing is inevitable. And, um, you know, and you, you're surrounded by people that really respect and understand that, you know, and, and it's like. And, and, and it really helped a lot. I mean, yeah. I mean, my wife especially has been like the first reader. I mean, you know, she wasn't around for the first couple albums. Uh, maybe that's why it has so much bad grammar. <laughs> you know, I mean, I needed some. I needed somebody, you know, with a whip. You lost. Saying, you lost you know, years. Fix that. Fix that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she she she's read a lot of my work, and and of course my kids, even when they were younger. Uh, I mean, I I, I never 
never I, I never wrote for them necessarily. Although I did I did do an album of of songs uh, when they were babies called Juggling Babies that, that were inspired by them. But they they gave they gave a lot of I mean my daughter especially gave a lot of critique uh, uh, critical ideas you know critiquing some of the things that i wrote and making suggestions my son you know played clarinet and saxophone and a number of my songs i mean i mean he, that's him on on the uh, i'd be me uh, yeah. song on the tribute album which is kind of funny that's the song he picked of all the songs it was perfect one to pick um and then i also had you know i had an older cousin uh cousin sheldon uh, passed away some years ago but when i was when i was really young he was he was like the first person to really pay attention to the things that i was writing uh you know, he gave me a lot of support and encouragement and, and actually my early books. I mean, he helped edit those early books and gave me mm. ideas. Uh, and so, so, you know, you know, there, there were a lot of people kind of on my path that helped, that helped quite a bit. I think you you also come across as someone who's very comfortable with people giving feedback and things like not that, not that you, not, not that you're unsure of the, the things you want to say, but you know, it, it feels like, there's a real um, – I don't know how to say this without it becoming a little bit martyrish, but, I mean, it, there's almost a subservient nature to you that is, you know, you're really in touch with your audience and it's not about you. It's about, okay, what's going to be the best way my audience is going to understand this? And from that perspective, uh, you know, criticism or help or, or, or suggestions are not a, not a, an attack on your art but – but an extension of how best to reach your audience. Is that fair or do you get still a little bit thick skinned about no, I don't get I don't get thick skinned at all. In fact, I, I usually know what the problem. I know that I know that there are problems. Sometimes I just don't know how to fix them. And sometimes, you know, reading them aloud helps. And sometimes having other people read them aloud or yeah. or making suggestions are very helpful. My my very last semester at college. I finally took a writing class. Um, you know, I, I think so much of what I do is untutored and 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 unfiltered by you know by by sort of you know traditional things. I mean, I just I just I just went and did it. But my last semester, I took a writing course with a with a poet who I really loved his work, and. Um, it, it, it was probably the only class I really, really wanted an A in. I mean, I just wanted an A so badly in this class, and I and I didn't ever get it. I mean, he he basically he basically told actually he's the poet David R. Slavitt that I referenced in the song "I'd Be Me," um, and uh, he said I just didn't I didn't sweat enough. I didn't work hard enough. I I had these great ideas and I'd write them down and then I'd move on to the next song and I just didn't I didn't work hard enough. And I, I mean, I'll give you an example of something that. That he that he's a suggestion that he made on my song I need you like a donut needs a hole now it it doesn't it doesn't convey when I sing the song because I wrote it as a song but when I showed him the lyrics because it was 1975 it was I'd already written the song when I took his cat class it was I'd written the song a couple years before I took his class but I showed him the song and and the first line is I need you like a donut needs a hole like pianos need fingers heart and soul and and he he said you know what you need to do is you need to put a comma after the word fingers because you know i was making a, a, a kind of a reference to the to the piano song heart and soul mm. but he said actually you get a double entendre you get a, you get you get you get an extra kick if you say that what you know like pianos need fingers but pianos also need heart and pianos also need soul 
So that comma, yeah. you know, again, when you when you sing the song, you know, you, there's no punctuation. But whenever I sing the song now, I think about that line and yeah. how just that little extra work, you know, made it better. Yeah. Had, did, has it changed the way you work now? I mean, do, do you... Do you feel confident that you're working hard enough? I mean, I reckon, oh, I reckon you're working absolutely. hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is which is why my book "Stolen Man," which was a which is an early reader chapter book uh, uh, about the Amistad slave rebellion, uh, took uh, twelve years <laughs> to be published, and I went through twenty seven rough drafts before uh, it was finally ready to go. Uh, yeah, I spend a lot of time now, probably too much time. I need you like a donut needs a hole, like pianos need fingers, heart and soul. We go together like peanuts in a shell. I'm gonna hold you in my arms like water in a well. And I, you know, in my early years, I just felt like I always wanted to be writing something. I always wanted to be working on an album or working on a on a collection of poems or working on a book. And, you know, after you know 15 albums and 15 books, something like that, 15 or 16 of each, you know, I don't have that that burning desire to create you know, all the time. I'm still writing. I mean, I write, I mean, lately I've been writing a lot of political things because of the state our, of our country, the state that the U.S. is in these days. But, but um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I try to be thoughtful. I try to be, and I try to think through the things that I write. I, I don't want to just, you know, it's not just putting words down on paper. It's, it's putting the right words in the right order and, and kind of conveying the thoughts that I have inside. Uh, amazing. Two questions and then we're done because, you know, yeah, I think yeah. our 10 minutes is up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been, it's been great. It's been a pleasure. In, in line, uh, you know, just in the, just sort of kind of going back to what we've touched on a few times and you sort of just had your ability to reach children, there's this really beautiful segment you have on your webpage, which, again, there's a lot of things about your website which I just kind of went, oh, that's really – like I just – it's just such a it's a, such a testament to the way your brain works, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean like, <laughs> I mean like you do things that I guess just other people wouldn't have thought of. And there's this really beautiful moment with your letter segments where the children write you letters. Um, but there's two two letters in that that really stuck out to me that I don't think would have normally been added, but you've done them whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, the first is Tim wanting you to sing his song about um, everyone peeing near to him. Oh, <laughs> and the idea that they feel like they feel that they they just feel like you're the person that's going to hear that. And I love that. I love that they go, <laughs> right. "Oh, look, I'm just going to go to Barry because he'll get that. He'll totally understand right. that, and he, he won't he won't tell me it's disgusting. He's not going to tell me it's wrong. He'll go and put it into a song, and and great, right. you know. Right. And it's that real beautiful idea that they really there's a real trust children have that you're going to represent them. Another example of this um, is the letter from Richard, who talks about his mother running away. And he's eat, he's eaten so much cake that he now has to make himself vomit. Now we don't know the full context about this, obviously, <laughs> but there's something really powerful powerful about him choosing to share this. Now, I mean, you know, as an adult who immediately looks for the the sadness in everything, um, you know, you kind of go, "Oh, the poor kid." This, is, but but then just in these two letters in general, I just think they really show the trust children have in your ability to speak on their behalf. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I never thought about it quite in that way. I, I mean, you know, and I, I actually got a lot more letters back in, in the early days than I do now. I, I don't know that kids write letters as much as, as emails no. or texts or whatever they do. And, <laughs> Definitely and, not. But, but, you know, I, I, you know, and interestingly enough, you know, as I've, as I've developed uh, connections and, and with a number of people on Facebook who, who had my albums as kids, I mean, uh, quite a few of them have actually commented on, on postings of mine. They, they've said, you know, when I was like nine years old, I wrote you a letter and I couldn't believe that you wrote me back. And now it's such a treat to be able to talk to you and have a conversation as an adult here in this format and uh and so i guess i don't know i mean i i mean i do i mean i always did try to respond i mean i i mean my probably my biggest fear is when you know if, if technology fails and i don't i don't actually get a text or i don't get an email and somebody thinks i might have been ignoring them i mean yeah. I, I do try to I do try to respond, and I, and I always have. Um, those letters used to hang on my wall. Uh, I mean, I just had a wall of letters back in, in my original office back, you know, back when I first, the first few years. And then as we remodeled and moved, I mean, they, they went from the wall to the scrapbook and then ultimately up onto the website. Yeah, they just really, I, I just I don't know, there's something, something about those two in particular really struck me as just this quite... Um, I don't know. It just really, really represents this this unique ability you have to speak on behalf of children, and and I, and I guess I think as children's artists around the world, we sort of like to think we do do that. But I guess what, well, my, my I, wife, my my wife Ronnie, basically would say that it's basic immaturity. Yes. Well, I think a lot of people would say that, but you know, I'm not one of them. Just in touch with that. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I think I think you know, children's artists around the world like to kind of think that that's what they're doing. But I guess it's not until I see letters like that and things like that that I go, "There's a different." Like a lot of people get letters, and it's usually based around, "I love your song. I love this. I love that." But you're the inter. The, I don't know. I just sort of get this sense of the way children interact with what you do is different. They feel. Com, uh, like they find camaraderie in you, they find um, like-minded person, they find someone they feel they can confidently stand next to and be themselves and say the things they want to say. And I think at the heart of it, what makes that special, special Barry, is that that's all children want, you know. They want to be entertained, of course, but they just want to be heard. They just want their voice to be for a period of right. time. They want their voice to be the loudest voice in the room. And... There is no reason why they don't deserve that and there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. And, and I guess they see that in you. Um, one final question. Um, well, let me, let me, uh, I'd like to respond to that uh, briefly yeah. uh, because it, there, there is a theme, I think, you know, that, 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 that has permeated so much of what I've written from the songs to the books. Uh, and that is, that is the idea of listening to those that don't always have a voice. And so my, my songs, especially the early songs, when, when I was writing about my memories of growing up and when I was writing about my own siblings, uh, you know, that, that idea of writing in a way that captures the feelings and emotions of kids who don't always get their, 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 their ideas voiced in, in, in poems or books or songs. Mm. I mean, again, especially back in those years. I mean, it, it's changed a little bit now, but but maybe 
maybe not so much. And and then the the the, the theme of stolen man. You know, I I mentioned that 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 cha- early chapter book for early, the early mm. reader chapter book. You know, what what stuck what I was stuck on was how to tell the story about this this rebellion on a slave ship. And I mean, I got the first part of the book written, and that was easy. And then I just got to the second half where he's in America and he's trying to communicate and he doesn't speak the language. And I realized, oh, that's the theme. The theme is being listened to. The theme is how do you tell your story? Yeah, how do you right. get that story out? And, and and I'll throw out something that's just totally different from everything else I wrote. In fact, it was it's actually kind of the last, really the last book I probably released was was called Retelling Genesis, which were were thirteen stories told from from the secondary characters' point of view. And I had such a good time writing that book because it was like taking, getting into a mindset of somebody who doesn't have their story told. You know, there's a there's a big story, but there's these other characters who are like on the periphery and 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 telling that story. And I mean, that's that book is actually my only failure because I think people people thought I, I you know I went to the dark side, and I went to the light side, or something. I don't know. You know, it, it, it's an odd it was an odd book to write about, but I was intrigued to to kind of take these these standard stories and and that also that's another story that actually. My, my, I mean, I have to credit my daughter because when she was in high school, um, she had an assignment to take a, a very well-known story and, and tell it differently. And so she, she actually told the story of Noah's Ark from Noah's wife's point of view. Brilliant. And, 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 and yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And, and, I, and she wrote it and it was great. And she turned it in. And I said, now that you turned it in, can I take your story and can I play with it? And can I change it? And, and she, she said, Dad, knock yourself out. You know, well, I did. And then from there, I wrote another one. And then before I knew it, I was doing like 13 different <laughs> biblical stories. Wow. And, and that's how that, so again, even that came out organically. I mean, I didn't set out to do that. It was just, you know, I, I, I love Loved the story she wrote, and it gave me the idea to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> my, best, my best ideas are stolen by my, from my children. Uh, oh, I, li- I like to yeah, inspired and offered. Maybe we can. Yes, I'll, offered, I'll yes, it yes. Well, you know, and, and there are the, the ideas are out there. I mean, they're, they're no, just of course, of course. And, you know, and and like the, the album I did when my kids were little. So you know, again, I was very fortunate that my wife worked part time, and when um, when our kids were really little, I got to stay home a lot with them and 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 watch them and and parent them. And 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 while I was doing that, I was getting ideas about. You know, what do we do with a crying baby and, and, and a monster song about diaper rash and a song about potty training? And, and so those songs came, you know, those songs kind of came naturally. Carefully it will catch you if you don't watch out. You can scream and you can holler. You can cry and you can pout. It's mean and it's nasty. It's ugly and it's red. It comes when you are sleeping. Alone in your bed It's Diaper Rush Diaper Rush Diaper Rush A lot of your career is, is very very parallel to an entertainer we have over here by the name of um, Peter Coombe and he he similarly to you was like the real he was a real 
genesis of, of I guess, an alternative children's artist. He he wasn't – he really just – you know, did he did he did the hard yards and did all the thing and and you know he does a lot of poetry and that's kind of what he does and you know it's a beautiful art form that is sort of disappearing. But there's one aspect I interviewed him and there was this really beautiful line he said, which really strikes me that you would associate with as well on on a sort of a different level. And he he has a lot of children singing on his songs. He gets a lot of child children's choirs and things like this. And I said to him, you know, in the interview, I said, you, you have a lot of children in your actual music. Like, why is that? And he says, um, he said, it's music for children. He said, it doesn't make any sense to me to not have children in it. And I think even though you don't have the children singing or physically representative the similarities is children, and this goes back to your child's idea about the, you know, there's this constant idea that you get your information from the children and the people around, like, you know, you can't you can't separate children from what you do. And I know that's a silly thing to say because you're entertaining children, but you can entertain, you can write and present what you've done, whereas I don't think you can write, I don't think you personally can write without having somehow children even subconsciously being part of the context that you're creating is that oh that's just very yeah, no I think, I think i think you're right i mean i think that that's one of the reasons i was very very prolific when i first began because i wasn't that far uh far away from being a kid myself and certainly you know my siblings were eight nine ten years old when i was about 18 as there's a, there's a number of years between us and so i was there living with my family and getting ideas you know about what it was like with them you know I, i'd go over to my i was already in college and i go to my parents house having dinner uh, for dinner and, and 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 my brother wouldn't eat his broccoli and my mother turns sure. to my brother and tries to, in a way, to get him to eat his broccoli. He says, "Well, Barry eats his broccoli. Why can't you be like him?" And you know, being the oldest in the family, I was always compared to the boy that lived next door. Said it wasn't about broccoli; it was about asparagus. And and the song yeah. "He Eats Asparagus" came from that experience. Um, and then, of course, when I had kids, I mean, I had I had new ideas, and I haven't had too many song ideas because I'm I am a little bit removed from that. I mean, my mm. my kids are. My kids are in their you know mid thirties now. We have twins, and they're in their mid thirties, and 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 I don't have grandchildren at the moment. I mean, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I don't know. I I would. I always thought well, that would be the next wave of songs. You know, I don't know if that's true. But the idea, the idea of of kids on the album singing on the albums. You know, I think one of my most popular albums. I don't know if you if you came across it was that was the captured live and in the act album. Yep. Again, it's, it's that same era. It's it's mm. a little bit dead in terms of some of the stuff that's on it. But wow, what makes that album work are the kids. Absolutely. And 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 that again, you know, another accident of fate. A, a local radio station. Uh, I was I was working on a radio show. Uh, I'd asked to write a couple songs for a local radio show. I think I think actually that's how the song Thump, 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 uh, which was on my third album, came about. But um, they wanted to, they wanted to like record a concert of mine in a school to get a feel of what I did as they were, as they were kind of thinking about, you know, this, this radio show that they were thinking of doing. And, and they recorded this album and then they gave me a copy of the tape and I, I listened to it and I said, wow, the energy on yeah. that with kids is great. And they, they allowed me to release it as a, as an album. And again, you know, Two microphones, one on the kids, one on me, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, real bare bones, but boy, the spirit is there. I'd like to try singing it 
if you don't mind if I forget some words here and there. So when I start going, ah, that means I've forgotten and I'm trying to make up new words right on the spot. The song has a sing-along part. It's, the song is called Thump, Thump, Thump. And um, the sing-along part that I want to teach you is Thump, Thump, Thump. So what I need you all to do with me is go Thump, Thump, Thump. Let's try that. Thump, thump, thump. Okay, now you got, you got the right words. Now what, we need, now what I need you to do is kind of do them like in a lower voice. Thump, thump, thump. Okay, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to sing a line, and then I need you to go... Thump, thump, thump. Then I'm going to sing another line, and you go... Thump, thump, thump. I think it's pretty easy. I think you can get it. The song is about... Being left alone late at night. No one else is in the house except you. It's dark out. Maybe it's raining. And you're in your room. And outside the door, something is going thump, thump, thump. Thump, thump, thump. I was all alone. Thump, thump, thump. Nobody at home. Thump, thump. It was coming up the stairs. I was really scared. What could it be? Coming after me. Stopped in the kitchen. Absolutely, but I I mean, I I don't think it's any surprise that you've written less since your children have grown up. And I mean, I think that's kind of the point. I mean, I think when the grandkids come, you probably, if and when the grandchildren come, you will start again because I think you're that kind of person that needs to, not needs to, but respectfully understands that the voice has got to come from those children and your connection and experience with, you know, it's not good enough just to go, oh, I'm just here now as a middle-aged man. What do kids want to hear? I don't think that's your bag. I think your bag is... Oh, look at that child doing that. That's hysterical. I'm going to write about that. It's, now it's got to be it's got to be honest. It's and it's got to come from the heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that that's your whole thing. I think that's everything you do, from even for your naturally sweetened love songs, you know, through to the the chaos of the earlier stuff. You know, it's it's through. Now, last question. It's a bit of a big uh-huh. one. Um, okay. Your career seemed to, at least from the outside, be you know, it's about giving children space to be themselves and, and, and not have to explain it, to be free of judgment and to show them they aren't or at the time weren't alone. It was on the back of a troubled time in American history and a time when artists such as yourself saw and believed in a better way, a more inclusive, respectful way and almost, you know, in a positive terms, an anti-establishment way. Now, it's 50 years on and we have the most recent struggles in your nation which suggests that a lot of those lessons haven't been learned, all those things that you really strove for in that time and wanted to share with children haven't progressed as strongly as perhaps we may have all wanted. How does that kind of make you feel from the perspective of the children you now see of this generation? I mean, does it kind of make you feel... Uh, not hopeless, but does it make you feel, are you a bit aghast or does it kind of make you re, reinvigorate the importance of your content and how important it is to keep creating and keep moving? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's something that, that I've talked with my wife about quite a bit, you know, that 
like, is there a way of addressing so many of the events that have happened, you know, in, 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 in a song and in a song that would work for kids and not be too preachy or didactic, but also get the point across. And so what I've said so far is that actually, if you listen to those old songs and you really think about what they're saying, I mean, that's what they're saying. I mean, that, that is exactly what they're saying. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting when, when, when you know, one, a question that you didn't ask and that I get all the time is, you know, how have kids changed over the years? And kids have not really. I mean, you know, I go into an audience of, of kids of, of, of any, you know, urban, rural, suburban, you know, whatever the, you know, the, the makeup, you know, and they laugh at the same things. They giggle at the same things. They're interested in the same things. Their questions are about the same things. But I think parenting styles have changed a lot. And I think, I think, I think parents are a lot more cautious. There's somehow, somehow or other that the sense of, of, of freedom that, that kind of happened in the post sixties environment that nurtured me and that allowed me to, to, to produce the things I produced in those years. I just don't know that, that, you know, there's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's commonly called political correctness or, 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 or what, but that has a different overtone that I don't, I mean, it's, it's more than just that. Uh, I, I mean, you know, the world is a funny place and there's so many great things to learn about and explore and find out. And I think, you know, you know, not necessarily taking yourself so seriously about every single thing, you know, is an important thing. And I think sometimes parents, well, you know, things have changed. I mean, you know, in my day, you know, we'd, we'd go out, we'd go out, you know, in the, in the uh, you know, after school, we'd, we'd hang out with our friends until it was dinner time. And now you know, all that, so many activities are, you know, are organized and, and, and kind of regimented and, you know, media has, has played such a big, big part. In, uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, recordings or music. I'm talking about television and Internet and, and, and all those things. And it's hard to compete, I think, with a lot of that. And I even see the trends in music. I mean, there's, there's a lot more. There's a lot, you know, even the children's music field has changed. And a lot of that is for the good. I mean, there's, there's a lot more diversity. There's a lot more, there's a lot more voices that are, that are out there. Um, but I don't know, you know, it, it's an interesting question. I think that's one of the reasons my, my writings lately have been more political and they've been more for adults, because I don't know if these are even issues that kids should necessarily even grapple with um, you know, on the big stage. I mean, there are, there are underlying issues that, that clearly that clearly are important and, 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 you know, I mean, in a, in a funny way, I feel like if somebody really looked through the totality of my, my work, you know, my music, my songs, my books, the poems, I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's all there. It's, it's just, it's been written about over and over and again, because there are the themes that I'm interested in, the themes of, the themes of questioning, the themes of, 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 of kindness. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a huge theme in, in, in the books that I've written, the trouble with Ben, um, you know, the idea of, of, of giving space to be different, uh, you know, the, the songs I mean, even the song about the mean teacher and the librarian. I mean, those are really songs about listening to kids and and being kinder and being nicer. And that that probably, I mean, certainly that's that's the thing that I'm really aware of as our national politics has degraded so much in the U.S. That you know we we all need to be kinder to each other and to listen more and to not be so angry. I mean, to 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 really. Uh, you know, to, to be more open and to be more trusting and to be kinder. 
you know, that's actually really interesting. Oh, you know, what was really interesting about what you just said then is, is again, like, you know, as, I, as I've touched on, I feel like repeatedly is this idea of your career being so strongly planted from the voice of a child and the themes you were singing about in the 70s, 80s, not the themes, but just the, just the general ethos of the messaging or however you want to put it, it's still relevant today. And the reason it's still relevant today is because, as you just said, children haven't changed. Right. Children right. haven't changed. Children are still, you know, up until the age of five, they're still more or less concerned about the same things they're concerned about 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. What has changed is the parents and the way and the things that we start imposing that are important to children. And I think, you know, it, it, I mean, all generations alter from the way we choose to alter the children into that generation. But, I mean, but at the heart of it, children don't change. They are all the same. They're, they're the same now as they were 40 years ago. And I think when you have the ability like you do to be able to speak really from the side of the child, it will never lose its relevance. They'll yeah. always have the same kind of context because what's changed? <laughs> I mean, it's the same, right. it's the same yeah. voice. It's the same I mean, voice it's, from it's, 50 it's, years ago. Yeah, the basic truths are still there. The basic ideas are still there. Um, you know, it's. I think it's just harder to 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 rise above the noise sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's one of the beauties. I mean, when I was doing shows, as I said, I've been on this year sabbatical, you know, because of COVID. But you know, I mean, it, it was just amazing to get up on stage and you know, and have five hundred kids in a room just laughing, you know, uproariously, and then on a dime have dead silence while they listen to the next line because they want to hear what that next line is. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I've got the best job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fulfilling. It's, it's satisfying. It's, 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 it's all those things. Barry, I'm, I'm really deeply in awe and I feel really blessed that you've taken this time out and I feel, um, Ah, just it's just been so great to speak with you, and and it's it's um, I just love it. I love what you're about. I love what you do, and and I know it feels crazy because I'm, you know, jumping on the end of a very long train or bandwagon. But it's, you know, it's been an enormous pleasure to find out how you think and and what goes into your work because I think it's incredibly meaningful. I think, I think, despite the obvious you know, celebration that your music's crazy and, and you know, nonsensical and, and just sort of, you know, this robust chaos, I actually feel it's incredibly deep and I think it does something that not many people really do and that is be within the mind of a child and speak and confidently and, and succinctly speak on behalf of a children. So I, on behalf of all the children, say thank you. I, on well, behalf of me personally, say thank you. Um, it, it's been my pleasure. I mean, it's, it was an incredibly thoughtful interview. I, 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 and I truly appreciate that you were able to zero in on, on those deeper themes. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've done many interviews through the years and it's, it's just very satisfying that, that to, to see that you got it, that you you picked up on the on the humor, but also on the on the deeper things that I've 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 written about, and and not that I've necessarily tried to say, oh, I'm writing this deep song, but you know, my the person my who I am comes out in what I what I what I create, and so I take that as a as a compliment both on on my writing and and 
and uh, and the spirit with which the things were written in. Yeah, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it, it's it's for me it's it's effortless. It doesn't mean it takes no effort, but I just think it's who you are, and you can't help but just have yourself come through. Um, okay, well, I also want to personally congratulate you for officially being um, the longest interview I've ever done. <laughs> my, my wife tells me that nobody could interview me for 15 minutes because I just talk too much. <laughs> so there you go. No, uh, so somehow I'm going to edit this down and turn it into something that's a bit more palatable. Maybe I'll release it in three parts every decade. Yeah, right, right. right. Um, <laughs> so, yes, bro, thank you so much for taking your time. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you today. My uh, pleasure. It really it really has been fun for me. I've, I've enjoyed chatting and uh, nice to talk with a kindred spirit. <laughs> thank you. If you'd like to know more about Barry and his work, then simply go back to part one and listen all over again. Or alternatively, head along to his website at www.barrylou.com. That's www.barrylou.com. And of course, for more Benny Time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny. Ask Barry questions. Questions.